This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. But when we cast off the Bible and we say that's just a nice story, then all of a sudden we have no explanation for these things and we're left to just try to figure it out based on being good people. And you see where that gets us. It gets us where we're at today. You see, there's there's a very serious consequence here as well to sin's entrance to the world. Did you see it? Look at it, verse 12. Just as through one man's sin, death entered the world and death through sin. That, that through Adam's sin, death came into the world. Today, Pastor Cody reminds us of the reality of this world as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve. Their sin has been passed down to all of us in a way, and that sin leads to death. And it's important for us to acknowledge this reality. Otherwise, we have no basis of understanding the evil, decay, and death that we experience in our broken world. By recognizing this reality, we see that there is a reason for these things. And that sets us up for the truth of Jesus, who offers life amidst a dying world. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 5 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be finishing up Romans chapter 5 today, looking at verses 12 through 21. All right, so here's the the thought that we want to sort of start with today is this, that the actions of one person, when we're thinking about actions, can have a massive impact on others. That just one person doing something, it can have big implications and a massive impact on lots and lots of other people. And this reality is true both in the positive as well as in the negative. That when we're thinking about this, there's a negative connotation to it and there's also a positive connotation to it as well. Here's a couple of examples. If you think back in history, think about Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest presidents in American history. And, you know, this president in American history brought forth the Emancipation Proclamation, effectively abolishing slavery and setting free black Americans so that they are no longer enslaved. Amazing, brilliant, so great, such a good, amazing thing. This one man leads the way for lots of other people to experience something. Another example in history would be not Abraham Lincoln, but Adolf Hitler. Think about this guy. He led the charge in hatred and violence in World War II, and this resulted in more than 6 million Jews losing their lives, among other people. Lots of other people are murdered under Hitler's reign of terror, and this one man leads the charge, and lots and lots of other people are under this this effect. In both of these instances, the choices and actions of one man affected a huge group of other people. And that's the big concept. That's the big thought that we're looking at together today in Romans 5, 12 through 21. It's this, the big idea, Jesus is your representative giving you access to his glorious kingdom of grace. 
He's your representative. He's the one that gives you that access. And so keep that thought in mind as we look at this section together today in Romans 5. And we'll read through it and then we'll break it down together and take a look at it. So let's read Romans 5, starting in verse 12, all the way to the end of the chapter. It says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to open and read and study your word. And we do this together as an act of worship, an act of obedience unto you that we want to know you, we want to study you, we want to read your word. And God, we we want to do a lot more than just know a book. We want to know you. We don't want to know about you. We want to know you. And so, Lord, we understand that those are interconnected thoughts, but we, won't, we don't want to just stop at lines and letters and words on a page. We want to not worship the Bible, but worship the God of the Bible. And so we pray that as we open your word to understand it, that we would understand you more and that you would give us the grace of being drawn into your presence so that you might be glorified in our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today as we look at Romans 5, 12 through 21, we're going to break it down in three parts, all right? It's this, the, the three parts, verses 12 through 14, the comparison of Adam and Jesus, verses 15 through 17, the contrast of Adam and Jesus, and then verses 18 through 21, the consequence of faith in Jesus. Now, maybe as we were reading this, and even as I was reading this, I got tongue-tied a couple of different times in this, even reading through it with you, and that was not the first time I read it, just so you know. I read it a few times this week (laughs) as I was preparing. Even though I've read it a number of times, I still you know, as I'm reading through it, can struggle with reading through it in the right kind of order and getting all the words right. And that just goes to show that this section is complicated. This has actually been called by many theologians and scholars, one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. So we're just going to skip over it today and not go into it because it's hard. 
Just kidding. Of course we're not going to do that. That's not who we are, right? I mean, when we went through Nehemiah, I read all the names, okay? So we're going to actually go through all of this and we're going to take a look at it. And even though it's been called difficult by scholars and theologians, and the reason why is because it's very deep in a theological concept. So it's it's going very deeply into a theological concept and, and precept. And because of that, a lot of people, a lot of times, they just, you know, sort of write it off. They, they read over it sort of like gibberish and they go, yeah, 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 words, words, things. I don't know what that said. Moving on. That, that's what a lot of people do with this kind of a section. And that even theologians and scholars would say, hey, pastor, you don't need to teach this to your people. They don't care. Just move on. And to which I say, challenge accepted. And so we're actually going to go through this and break it down. And so really what I want to try to do is, you know, in, in terms of this, is that because this theological concept has massive implications on our lives today and eternity tomorrow, I think it's well worth our time to study it. And so what I want to try to do is try to take this big, complicated thought and try to make it simple. So I'm going to do my best to try to do that for us together today. So let's look at this first piece together, verses 12 through 14, and the comparison of Adam and Jesus. All right. So but look back at verse 12. It says this, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We, we have here again a therefore. And if you remember last week, I told you that there are going to be a number of these from here, chapter five, all the way through chapter eight, chaining thoughts together. It's building one thought on top of another. And the next place that Paul takes us to go deeper into understanding this justification by faith, that Jesus takes us from sinfully depraved and dead, and he transfers us, confers us, translates us into light and life. That, that from darkness and death to light and life, that that's what Jesus does, and it's a gift he gives, and it's a gracious thing that he does on our behalf. And the next thing to understand for this is this concept we have laid out for us here today. And something that's interesting about this, as you read through verse 12, is he refers to this one man. Do you see that there? As through one man, sin entered the world. Who do you think he's talking about? Well, if you've read your Bible before, he's talking about Adam all the way back in the very, very beginning of your Bible, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. He's referring back to that. And it's interesting to note that as Paul references this, he actually thinks that Genesis and the account of Adam and Eve are literal historical fact. That's a vital concept for us to grasp here. He, he doesn't look at them as some sort of allegory, some sort of story, some sort of fable with a good moral to it. He's looking at the Genesis account of creation and Adam and Eve as literal historical facts and real people that we look back to. And in fact, Paul was not alone in this. Jesus actually believed this too. You can read in Matthew chapter 19 verse 4 where Jesus describes this Genesis account referring to Adam and Eve and thus showing that he thought of Genesis and Adam and Eve as literal historical fact. You see, this is important for us to grasp because as we look at this as not allegory, 
not just a fable with a good moral to it. You know, there are a lot of people who view the Bible in general and specifically Genesis that way. I mean, think about it like this. If you were just standing in the, in the line at, I don't know, Home Depot or something, you're going to buy some, some lumber or some screws or something. And, you know, you strike up a conversation with the guy standing in line behind you. Hey, how you doing? You know, whatever. And then you start talking about Adam and you refer to Adam as a literal person. They're probably going to look at you like you bumped your head. Like, uh, what are you talking about? I mean, yeah, I know the story of Adam and Eve and the snake and the apple and all that stuff. And yeah, that's cute. It's in fairy tale books and, and whatever, but it's not real. That's how people view Genesis and Adam and Eve. And yet, that, that's just not the way that we view it. In fact, people go so far as to say, well, Adam and Eve is just allegorical and they just represent this idea and this concept and, and they translate that even further into Jesus being allegorical and they say, well, Jesus just represents this, this best possible you that you're supposed to live and it's just a bunch of crazy, all right? So you take the Bible and once you go down the path of allegory and fable with just good morals to it, then the Bible literally becomes about anything you want. You can literally make it mean anything. And that's just not an intellectually honest way to handle the scriptures. It's not an intellectually honest way to handle really anything unless it's meant to be allegory, okay? And so as we look at this, it's vital for us to to understand the literal historicity of Genesis and Adam and Eve because it's the only intellectually honest way to explain the state of the world as well as the existence of humanity. You see, those who reject this are left with allegories and fables to just try to make sense of life, to try to make sense of the world. They look at how we got here and what's happening in our world, and they just, they're left with just trying to reach back to some sort of make-believe story in order to figure out how we got here. But if you take the Genesis account as literal, then you have the answers for it. It's very, very simple. You see, the state of the world is the way that it is because look at verse 12. It says, just as through one man sin entered the world. Do you see that? Sin entered the world, the state of the world, the way things are, the way they are today, the existence of evil in our world is because of Adam, because of the sin of Adam. That's how, that's how sin got into the world. You see, if you try to explain evil without Adam and Eve in a literal Genesis, then you don't really have a reason. You don't really have a purpose for it. There's no origin or meaning to evil. Also, not only just the idea of the state of the world, but the existence of humanity. I mean, how did people get here? How did that happen? Where did we come from? I mean, did aliens drop some DNA from a faraway planet in a pod that just blew up on the planet and then we came out of that? Or, you know, was it some asteroids that smashed into each other and then they created planets and then that all of a sudden had some goo and then the goo to the zoo to you and that's how it all came about? Is that the way things took place? Well, if you reject a literal Genesis, and a literal Adam and Eve, then that's the kind of crazy fables that you have to come up with in order to sort of explain how people got here. And what I would submit to you is that you have to have way more faith to believe that. You have to have way more faith to believe that some molecules rubbed together and people popped out than to believe that God made us, that God fashioned and formed us. It takes far less faith to believe in the literal Genesis account. And so the existence of humanity, notice it says there in verse 12, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. See that all men, people, all people, all of us came from this, came from Genesis. You see, Adam and Eve are our first parents. They're our first parents. And that's our first parents for 
All of us. I, I don't care where you're from on the planet. I don't care what kind of background you've had, you've been brought up under. I don't care what kind of, you know, creed or religious views people may have or how much melanin is in their skin. All of us find our lineage back to one set of parents, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You see, race is not a biblical construct. It's a social construct. Did you know that? There's no such thing as race in the Bible. When you read through the Bible, there are no races. There, there, it never talks about the idea of race. It only talks about one people. Now, there are divisions of people based on lots and lots of different things from where they lived and the kinds of structures they had governmentally and all those kinds of things. But there's never a racial distinction in the scriptures. Even when it says Jew and Greek, that has more to do with a religious distinction than it does with a race distinction. That's because race is a social construct. It's not a biblical concept. Here, Check it out. Here's how Miles McPherson, a pastor in Southern California, describes this. He says it like this in his book. I think his book's called The Third Option. Great book. He says this. Miles McPherson says, God made melanin so that his creative genius could be seen in various shades of brown. Even what we call white and black are simply very light and very dark shades of brown. For this reason, I propose to you that we are all just different shades of the very same color. Now, you might be looking at me and saying, bro, you're pretty pink, <laughs> which I would say, yeah, it's a, it's a brown pink. I, I don't know. It's very, there's not much brown there, but you know, there were all the various shades of this brown. You see, here's the truth. The reality is that both biblically and scientifically, there's no such thing as race. There's one race. It's the human race. And we are all part of it. And we all trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve. And you only get that. You only understand that from a biblical concept. When you understand a literal Genesis and a literal Adam and Eve. You see, this, this is where race tensions are eliminated. This is where true reconciliation among race happens. Is when we go back to a biblical concept. But when we cast off the Bible and we say that's just a nice story then all of a sudden we have no explanation for these things and we're left to just try to figure it out based on being good people. And you see where that gets us. It gets us where we're at today. You see, there's, there's a very serious consequence here as well to sin's entrance to the world. Did you see it? Look at it, verse 12. Just as through one man's sin, death entered the world and death through sin. That, that through Adam's sin, death came into the world. This is the consequence of sin. And then look what it says there. And thus, death spread to all men. You see, this has been true since Adam and Eve. They died. And since then, every single person who's ever lived has died. No one, no one has ever escaped this. No one's ever gotten out of this. No one's ever been in a position where they haven't died. And, and, and what we have being laid out for us here is the idea, it's a theological concept, and this is where it gets a little bit heady, a little bit difficult, a little bit complicated. It's a theological concept called federal headship. Now, when I say federal, you might think of the federal government. It's not like the federal government in terms of that, but it is like the federal government in terms of how we elect people or officials to represent us in the government. That's the concept, that someone is there representing a group of other people. That, that's the idea of federal headship. And in this, Adam represented all of humanity. Everything that we have in our lives today cascaded from 
Adam and Eve. It's like this. My height, my eye color, my hair color, my melanin level, the shape of my hands, the, the, my, the thinness of the bridge of my nose, all of those things, all of those features were passed down to me genetically. They were given to me physically. That there's a lot of things when you, when you look at my father, you see a lot of the same traits in him and then his father before him and his father before him. That I got these traits from somebody else. And the same thing is true, not just physically, but it's also true spiritually. There's a spiritual gene, if you will, being passed down from Adam. It's this fallen, sinful nature that as Adam sinned, he opened the door to sin and in opening the door, it changed his genetic structure, if you want to use that kind of phrasing, and it caused him to be spiritually fallen, which then Adam and Eve passed down to their kids, that fallen nature, which has been perpetually passed down to every single person since them. You see, it's this thing that takes place as a result of the cost of sin. Here's how God said it to Adam in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. You're sure to die. This is the consequence for the sin. And so God says, this is what's going to take place, Adam. This is how it goes. This is the way that, it, that it's going to, going to happen. And when, when they did that, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, death came and spread to all of us. So now sin brings death. That's the idea that's being given to us here. And in this, you know, my sinful nature is passed down spiritually. And the proof of that reality is that we all die, right? Like, like if you want proof that you're a sinner, well, you die. That's the proof that everyone is a sinner in all of human history. That that's just the way we are born into this state of being spiritually dead. And as a result, we all die. Sin is in the world. Sin is in humanity. And the, the proof of that is the fact that we all die. Now, sin brings death and the law produces more sinfulness, if you want to say it that way. Look at verse 13. For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Do you see that there? So it's kind of this idea where it's saying, you know, the law makes sin worse. And so if you're thinking through this, maybe you're thinking, well, God, I mean, actually your law is making things worse. If there was no law, then, you know, the sin wouldn't be such a big deal. So the law is the issue. Well, the truth of the matter is that the law didn't make sin what it is. The law didn't create sin. The law just clearly identifies where sin is. Sin existed before the law happened. The law only reveals more sin. And that's what it says there in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Why Moses? Why is he significant? Because Moses was the one who brought the law. And so he points back and says, well, you might look at this and say that the, you know, the, the law was what made sin worse. That's not necessarily true. And the reason why is because people still died from Adam all the way to Moses. And notice it continues on, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. So what he's saying there is you didn't, have to, you didn't have to do exactly what Adam did in order to die, that Adam opened the door to sin, and by opening the door to sin, it causes sin to enter into all of us, and therefore we all die. You see, you don't become a sinner when you commit your first sin. 
That's not when you, you don't become a sinner then. It's not like you're, you know, I, I know, you know, many of you, maybe you have these precious little babies and, you know, they're, they're so beautiful and they're so amazing and you're, they're so cute and they're, they're, you know, you're just all this excitement around the belly and the, you know, the baby in there kicking you and all that stuff. Maybe it's not exciting all the time, but you know, then the baby comes and you're like, oh, so precious. And, and people even say this phrase, oh, they're so sweet and so innocent. And, and those of you who have had kids, you realize, that's not true. That thing's a sinner. It's a little terrorist sinner bound up in this little cute package because that baby very, very quickly turns into a self-centered screaming machine that only cares about one thing. I need you to feed me. Do that right now. That's all that they they care about. And so they're extremely self-centered, only focused upon themselves. And that's that way from the very, very beginning. In fact, as your kids grow up, parents, I guarantee you never sat them down and said, hey, listen, I need to teach you how to sin correctly. I want to make sure that you are good at doing bad. <laughs> no, one, no one does that, right? I mean, I guess some people could do that. But the, the thing is, is that we are constantly trying to train evil out of our kids. We're constantly trying to train good into them. We don't, we don't have to show them how to do wrong. They just naturally go that way. They just naturally go toward sin. When you encounter a huge chasm, or large canyon. It's hard to imagine that you could be connected to the other side due to the space and distance between where you are and where the other edge of the canyon is. But it's reassuring to know and to hear in Romans that nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've been listening to Redemption Radio today with Pastor Cody. As he's been teaching through the book of Romans, you get some insight into God's heart for you. There's no limit or no point where his love will come to an end when it comes to God's love and devotion to you. Do you find that hard to believe today? Read Romans 8 to remind you that God's love for you is endless. It's not like a human love that can fail or disappoint you. God's love is above that, and He cares for you better than anyone. Have you experienced that kind of love by God? We sure hope so. One of the most important ways to experience the love of God is through His family, the church. If you're not connected with the church, we invite you to join us this Sunday at Redemption Calvary. Head over to our website to get more information on directions, times, and even to subscribe to our podcast. Go to redemptioncalvary.org. We hope you'll continue learning and growing through this book of Romans. Pastor Cody will be back again next time to continue where he left off. So make sure to tune in again here on Redemption Radio.